What beautiful liturgy, huh? wonder if the other mic is better. Is that all right there? What do you think? Is that all right? Okay. It's also fun to look over at my son and see him making me giggle in the process. I was watching Hudson's face, and then I looked at Jake keeping it real. This morning, I want us to talk briefly about the church that Jesus builds. Uh, about seven weeks ago, I was coming in and I ran into one of our intercessors and I said, on the way to church, I had a vision. I was coming down Portland as it blends into and becomes Hefner Parkway and I had a vision of a large figure, a man, and he was doing something around this area. He was laying bricks. He was taking brick after brick and constructing something and I was watching this and then I saw a blast of fire hit in that direction and blast at the bricks and the man got down and knelt and shielded the bricks what was being built there and I heard the Lord say I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is a promise from the Lord Jesus. All that we go through with his church, with him, he builds his church. And so what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes to look at that text, Matthew 16, 13 through 18. And then I want to share out of that the church that Jesus is building among us here at our Lord's. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. In the coming days, we could look at this text in greater detail. There's a lot here. It's one of the most important passages in the whole New Testament about the church. It's actually the first time that the word ecclesia, the word church, is, is used in the New Testament. Very powerful promise. And I just want to look at a couple of things and then lay out some things that I think the Lord is sharing with us about the church that he builds so Matthew 16, 13 through 18. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We could look at many things here, including the things that are said about Jesus, the different Ideas that people had about him being one of these prophetic figures, John the Baptist and others. But I, I simply want to look at two things before we move on to a, a couple of other things. There's basically a twofold insight in this passage about Jesus and his church. And the first one you can see here is about the identity of Jesus, who he is. And so there's really two questions posed here, two statements that are made. And the first one is about Jesus, isn't it? 
Simon Peter being one of the loud mouths among the disciples is, of course, the first to blurt out who he thinks he, he is, and he actually gets it right because the Father is speaking to him. But he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And in first century context, this is loaded, what he's saying here. For us, it may not be as rich as it was for them in that initial hearing. I mean, he's basically saying, you are the promised one. You are the messianic king. You're the one that we've longed for, who's anointed by the Holy Spirit, who's going to bring the kingdom of God for us. Secondly, if you look at the text here, he says, you are the Messiah. And he says something else, doesn't he here? You are the son of the living God. So he's the Messiah and he's the son. And this is reminiscent. This makes us think of his baptism, doesn't it? Where the father speaks to the son. And what does he say? He says, you're my beloved son. And so in this text here, we have not only the fact that Jesus is Messiah, he's king, he's the one that the Jews have longed for, he's the, the promised one, anointed with his spirit, but he's also the son who's loved by the father. A second thing that this text reveals is not only who Jesus is, but who we are, who the apostle Peter was. And so you see him at verse 18, even before then, verse 17, he says, you've answered correctly, and he says, blessed are you, Simon, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, this answer is not something you came up with on your own, the Father has opened your eyes to who I am, and this is just marvelous here at verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So not only is there a revelation of who Jesus is in this passage, but there's a revelation of who Peter is based on that. And there's some wordplay here. Um, Peter is a, the word Petra for rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. There's all kinds of interpretation and controversy over this. And some people say, well, is he saying you'll build your church on this person, Peter? Or are you going to build your church on the confession that he's making, the revelation of who Jesus is? Or could perhaps Jesus be saying on this rock? myself. And you know what? Oftentimes it's a little bit of each of those. I think what, what is being stated here includes all of those. It's the revelation of Jesus, but there's something mysterious and powerful here in this text. The church is built on people like us. Jesus will build his church, and it comes out of a revelation of who he is. He's the promised one. He's the anointed one. He's the, the Lord of the church, but then he turns to us and says, I'm going to build my church on you, and you, and you, in spite of us. Peter didn't have a great track record, did he? He blew it. Shortly after this, he has revelation, this powerful moment, speaking with Jesus, really kind of preeminent among the apostles, and then he turns around and denies Jesus. But so we have this twofold insight. It's first and foremost about the identity of Jesus. What we're doing here is about him. And then he turns to us and says, I'm going to build my church on people like you. Broken people, struggling people, real people, raw people like us. So I want us to just take a few more minutes here before we have our family meeting. And I, I want us to reflect on the kind of church that Jesus is building among us here right now. The first thing, 
knowing that Jesus is building and that no one can stop him, I want to remind us that we're a community of worship. We're called first and foremost to be a community, right? To be family, in fellowship, in shared life, in partnership. And what's interesting about this, as a community, we reflect the nature of God. We're made in the image of God, aren't we? God exists as Trinity. God exists as community. And so in a sense, we reflect who God is. Father, Son, and Spirit in partnership, in oneness, in unity. And so we reflect that sense of community. And we're a community of worship. Look with me real quickly here at John chapter 4, verse 23. An amazing text about worship. John 4, 23. A well-known passage that's often referenced when we talk about the church's calling in worship. A community of worship. John 4, 23. And the context here is interesting because Jesus is finding himself in constant debates with people. People really trying to pin him down and get him to say the wrong thing. And so they're asking him, hey, how are we supposed to worship? And what about this sacred site? And what about the temple and these various things? That's the context here. And then Jesus says, John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we see here our callings to to be a community of worship, and we're called first and foremost to see this is about God. God is spirit. God is not limited to any church, any physical temple. God's not limited to our kind of outward ritualistic things. God is spirit, and God wants us to worship in spirit. This means many things, but first and foremost, it means that worship comes from the heart. Worship comes in spirit. It comes from who we are, from the interior. And it's energized by the person of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We worship in spirit. Secondly, we worship as a community in truth, in line with God's nature, the revelation of who God is in Scripture. So we gather together as a community, and we worship God, energized by the Holy Spirit, from our spirit, and we worship in line with the God of of Scripture. Secondly, we are called here to be a community of formation. The Lord is at work among us as we worship, as we share life with one another, and the character of Jesus is being formed in us. Look at uh, the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians 4.19. Galatians 4.19, our calling to be a community of formation. Really interesting metaphor that Paul uses here. Paul uses all kinds of amazing images about soldiers and battle and wrestling and boxing and things, and he's doing something different here, and Galatians 4.19, he's using a rather tender image. The language of a mother, basically, as he looks at the church at Galatia, and he says, my little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth 
until Christ is formed in you. The Apostle Paul is saying there that he looks at the believers in the church and he says, I am committed. I am as committed as a mother is with that embryo, that newborn child inside of her. I am so committed to seeing you come to full maturity. And then he turns the metaphor and says, actually, Christ is being formed in each one of you, individually and collectively. Some of us might say, well, wow, that sounds rather abstract. And so in the next chapter, Galatians 5, he talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So he's using another metaphor In addition to Christ being formed in each of us, he says, you will bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Your life is rooted in Christ, and on the branches of your life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will will be born. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, these things. And what's wonderful about this as a community of formation, this is the project of Jesus, thankfully. It's really not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to any single pastor or leader. This is the project of Jesus, and he is committed to having his character formed in each of us, in spite of us, thankfully, right? So in addition to being called our Lord's Community Church as a community of worship and formation, we're also called to be a community of mission, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at one other text here, Acts chapter 13. A powerful passage here, Acts 13, one to three. And our leadership team has been talking about this for the last several months. We've been focusing on Acts 13 and what the Lord has for our Lords in this passage. Acts 13, 1 to 3 here. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, They laid their hands on them and sent them off. Again, we could point out numerous things here, but we can just observe very quickly here that there are several things going on in this this passage here, right? We've got team ministry. These are real people called out by, by name, and they're diverse people. They're from different places. They look different, different skin color, different names, different backgrounds, but they're a team. Secondly, we see in this passage, there's worship going on, isn't there? They're worshiping the Lord. Another translation of that is they're ministering to the Lord. They're focusing on the presence, the glory of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And they're listening, aren't they? In the context of worship, they are attentive to what the Lord is doing. They're discerning. What what are you doing? And the Holy Spirit speaks. The Spirit speaks And as a missional God speaks, they are sent out. The apostles lay their hands on them and commission them and send them out to go and start other communities. So this morning, I just want us, as we enter into a time of 
family matters and, and issues, I want us to realize that the Lord Jesus builds his church. This is about him. And thankfully, nothing catches Jesus by surprise ever. He is so good and so wise and such a winsome, merciful, compassionate leader that we can look to him no matter what, and he will build his church. I also want us to be reminded that, as Proverbs 29, 18 says, without vision, what happens? People perish. They're scattered. They wander. So therefore, with vision, what happens? We thrive. That's right. We look to the Lord Jesus. He is the great vision giver. He is the great architect of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He's the greatest builder of the church there's ever been. And so we look, hopefully, to him. And Brad and Mike and I and others on the leadership team are dealing with some things just like you are in the core of our being. But you know what? We're hopeful. We're filled with hope because the Lord Jesus is building his church among us, and we're grateful for that. So, Lord Jesus, we look to you. We thank you that we can trust you. That you are full of mercy and wisdom and grace and love. And that you've got us in your hand. We thank you that you give us the promise, I will build my church. And nothing will prevail against that. We love you. We trust you. We lean on you. We thank you for the promise of your word, the power of scripture. Thank you for the power of community, belonging to one another, leaning on one another. And we look with great hope. What might you do, Jesus? What are you up to? We pray in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.